0: Alright, so here's the way Sermon in the Sack works. I got something in the sack today. If you can guess what it is, you get to take it home with you, okay? I'm going to give you five clues. There's two rules. First of all, first rule is we don't do none of this raising of hands stuff around here, okay? You can do that in worship, but we're not going to do it up here. If, you're going to, if you are want to buzz in and try to answer the question, what do you got to do? Yes, that's right, Lydia, or Amelia got that right. Lydia usually shows us how to do it. Amelia got that right for us, so. She gets those dance moves from her mother, I will tell you that honestly. Uh, So there we go. That's what you got to do to buzz in. Second rule, no buzzing in on the first clue, okay? You all are too smart and you ruined my sermon in the sack. So no, no buzzing in on the first clue, wait till the second one and then you see if you can figure it out. All right, you all ready for the first clue? All right, first clue is this. The ancient Egyptians considered them, what I have in the sack, considered them good luck, and they tossed them into King Tut's tomb as a part of his funeral. How many of you guys have heard of King Tut? Yeah, yeah, remember that old mummy-looking guy? Well, they threw these into King Tut's tomb as a part of his funeral because they thought it was good luck. All right, that's what I have in the sack. All right. Clue number two. Now, this one you can guess. French monks used to use them to as medicine to treat wounds. They thought these were medicine. What do you think it is, Amelia? <laughs> it's not whipped cream, no. <laughs> no, no. as excited as you would be to get whipped cream. No, that is not what is in the sack today. All right, let's go to the third clue. If you weighed out one pound of these, you would have about 100,000 of them. So that's a clue. They're very small. If you weighed about a pound of these, just a pound, one pound, there would be about a hundred thousand of them. What do you think, Carson? Jelly beans. Jelly beans. That's a great guess. And I really wish, I wish I had a bag full of jelly beans for you, but that's not. That's not it. All right. Clue number four. Let's see what we get. There's a museum in Wisconsin that features a collection of over five thousand jars from all over the world of the sauce that's made from what I have in the sack okay museum 5,000 jars what do you think Kyle pizza sauce sauce? no it's not pizza sauce as great a guess as that is (laughs) I'm going to let my oldest daughter guess I'm afraid she probably knows what do you think it is tomatoes Tomatoes? no it's not tomatoes All right, y'all be seated alright now you're going to get it you all know my last clue always gives it away so the last clue here y'all ready the sauce made from these goes great with ketchup what do you think Evan On your hot dogs, you have ketchup and mustard. mustard. Very good. All right. And you win today your own bottle of yellow mustard to take home with you. Uh, And for everybody else, we're going to pass these around. You all get your own packets of mustard that you get to take home with you. So you all pass those around. Everybody grab a packet of mustard. I know you're so excited about my prizes. Now, before you go, I want to give you something else. How many of you guys, first of all, y'all have a seat. How many of you guys like mustard? Raise your hand. Okay, I love mustard in a very sick and sad way, but, uh, but did you know that mustard, all right, y'all be seated. Be seated. You're fine. All right. We... Did you know that mustard comes from a tiny little seed? All right, I'm going to show you these seeds. Y'all grab, see if you can grab one of those seeds. Just one, there you go. Now, if you can keep up with that seed till the end of church today, Miss Jeannie will let you trade that seed for a piece of candy. So if you can keep up with that little seed between now and the end of the, of the worship service, you can trade it for a piece of candy. Yeah, we'll see how many of you guys can do that. Some of you guys will just pick up a piece of dirt on the way out and trade that for a piece of candy, and that'll probably be just about as good. All right, grab your seed there. Did you guys know that Jesus talked about mustard seeds? In Mark chapter 6, my it, there it is. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus talks about mustard seeds, and he said this. He said, did you know that the kingdom of God, I'll come back around over there, did you know that the kingdom of God is kind of like a mustard seed? Now when you look at these seeds, what is the first thing you notice? They're tiny, right? They're really small. Jesus said, my kingdom is just like a mustard seed in that it starts out really small. But if you were to plant these and you were to grow a mustard plant, a mustard plant is actually a really big plant. If you were to plant this in your garden, it would be bigger than most of the, the plants that you would find in your garden. I'm getting one for Lily. So tiny. <laughs> Getting one for Lily. There you go. Anybody else? All right. And Jesus said, here's the deal. These mustard seeds are a lot like my kingdom. They don't look like much. Look at that seed in your hand. doesn't look like much, does it? In fact, some of you guys are wondering, how in the world am I going to keep up with this tiny little thing until the end of church so I can get my chocolate? But Jesus said, here's the thing about my kingdom. It may not look like much. Jesus came into the world to bring us a kingdom and to invite us to be citizens of that kingdom. And so as we think about what it means to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, I want to say this. Look at that little seed in your hand. Jesus said, this is what my kingdom is like. It may not look like much. It may not look like much. But one day, it's going to be huge. If you were to take this seed home and plant it, it may may actually not grow. But if it did grow, it would grow a really large plant. Jesus said, that's like my kingdom. It may not look like much right now. But one day, it's going to be huge. And that's what we believe as followers of Jesus, that Jesus is inviting us into something that starts out really small but may become really huge. And in your lives, I want to encourage you, those of you this week at Vacation Bible School that we're hearing a lot about Jesus and are are beginning to wonder about, you know, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I want you to think about this mustard seed. It starts out really small, but then it grows and it becomes something really huge. We're going to talk some more about that today in our our time in the Word, so. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, all right, Mark chapter 6, we're going to look today at the only miracle that Jesus ever performed that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Now, I've told you guys in in times before that if you find something in Scripture that's repeated, that normally means it's pretty important. This particular miracle is repeated four times. Other than the resurrection, it's the only miracle that occurs in all four Gospels. And each of the Gospel writers comes at this miracle from a little bit different angle we're going to look at the angle of the of the gospel of mark this morning but if you were to go over to the gospel of john john chapter 6 you'd see the same miracle but john attaches this miracle with the teaching that jesus gave after the miracle about him being the bread of life that's the title of today's message as we're going to see toward the end today But here in the book of Mark, we've talked about how Mark is this gospel of action. I mean, he's get down to the brass tacks of it. He doesn't like to give a whole lot of of, of superfluous details. He just wants to get us right down to the heart of what Jesus was after. And that's what we find in Mark's display of this miracle we call the feeding of the 5,000. So if you look at Mark chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 30. Let me give you a little bit of context here before we read the scripture today. At the beginning of March, chapter 6, Jesus sends those 12 disciples out in pairs of two on their first mission trip. How many of you guys in the last five years went on your first mission trip? Would you raise your hand? Okay, I see many hands in the room. We've got a few that are getting ready to go on their first mission trip next week to, to Belize, and we're excited about that. He sends the disciples in on their first mission trip, two by two, they go out, they go out proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel, they go out healing, they go out delivering people from demons, all kinds of awesome stuff is happening, and they come back to Jesus, and man, they are pumped. Like, Jesus, that was awesome. You gave us the authority to do things that we never thought we could do. People were actually listening to us, demons were fleeing, people were getting healed, amazing things were happening. They come back and they're sharing about all the things that had happened on their mission trip. And then Jesus says, All right, boys, time to get in the boat. We're going on a little vacation. That's my paraphrase at the beginning of Mark chapter 6. We're getting ready to go on a little vacation. Jesus had this way, had this way, this particular way of when things got to this high point, he had this way of taking his disciples and saying, All right, boys, it's time for us to get out of here. We're going to go out to the wilderness. It seems completely, uh, completely against what you would think. You would think, okay, ride the tide, right? If one of our political folks of one of the 40 different people that are running for president next year, if one of them gets to the high point of their campaign, they don't choose that moment to go to the wilderness. But his ways are not our ways. At his highest points, Jesus often took his disciples and said, All right, boys, it's time for us to go out to the woods. We need to spend a little alone time together. He drew them away from the crowds rather than allowing the crowds to draw them away into worldly pursuits. Danny Akin says this about this miracle I want to start here this morning. He says, perhaps no other story in the Bible other than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead confronts us with the reality of our Lord's deity more directly than the feeding of the 5,000. Only God can do what occurred on that remarkable day. So what we're going to see here in this miracle, uh, beyond just taking a little lunch and feeding a multitude, the picture that we're intended to get this morning, and I hope that you'll walk away with is, who is this Jesus? And the miracle is screaming out to us, he is God. And I hope that that will be more than just a song we sang a few minutes ago. I hope that that will be the cry of your heart today. Mark chapter 6 beginning in verse 30. If you're able to stand with me in honor of God's word, would you you do so? And so the word of God says that the apostles, they returned to Jesus and they told him all they had done and taught about this mission trip they had just been on, all the amazing things that had happened. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Amen. You can be seated. Father, I pray above everything else that I could pray in this moment that you that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us an understanding that even these disciples did not have in that moment. Help us to see the point of the miracle. Help us not to get so drawn away by the details that we forget the teaching. A teaching that will change our lives if we grasp it by faith. And so give us faith, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first part of this miracle, we see the attitude of Christ. And it's an amazing attitude, because things weren't exactly going as it seemed like Jesus wanted them to go. The disciples have returned from their mission trip, and now it's all right, t- boys, it's, now it's time for us to have a little retreat together. We're going to get away by ourselves, and I'm going to spend some one-on-one time with you. It's going to be great. So they get in the boat, and they go, and, and as they're leaving, some folks see them leaving, and they begin to follow them along the shoreline, and so by the time they get to the other shore, Rather than coming to a desolate place where no one else was, where they could have a little retreat, a little alone time together, just Jesus and his disciples, instead there is a great crowd, the number of 5,000 men, they would count crowds in those days based on the number of men in the crowd. That does not include women and children, so there could have been as many as 15, maybe even 20,000 people had gathered there on the shoreline waiting for Jesus and his disciples. I don't know about you, but I think if I had been one of those disciples, I probably would have been just a little bit frustrated with the situation. We've just spent a number of days out among the people, healing, preaching, giving our all, and Jesus said, all right, boys, now it's time for a retreat. But rather than a retreat, you come to the other side of 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 the Sea of Galilee, and now you find a whole other crowd has gathered. Thousands of them are there, and rather than a little one-on-one time with Jesus, now you get to share your one-on-one time with the multitude. And I think I would have been a little frustrated in that moment. In fact, I think you see the frustration of the disciples, as I'll show you in just a moment. But that wasn't Jesus. You see, Jesus wasn't frustrated. Instead, Jesus had compassion, not frustration with the crowd. That word word compassion is is used about 12 times in relation to Jesus through the Gospels. He had compassion in Mark chapter 1 with a man who was blind. He had compassion on on the widow of Nain whose, whose son had died and he raised him from the dead. Throughout the scriptures we find Jesus having this thing called compassion. The word literally means to suffer with. This is not just a feeling. This is not just a a feeling of sympathy or empathy. It's deeper than that. It's the heart's reaction to suffering where Jesus entered into the suffering of the multitudes that were before him. In fact, that began with Jesus' birth. As God in the flesh stepped out of heaven and into this world, he entered in not just to our culture, not just into our economy. Not just into our ways of thinking and doing, he entered fully into our suffering. The Bible says he knew every temptation that we know, yet he was without sin. And he would experience the fullness of suffering in a way that none of us will ever know suffering when he ultimately went to the cross. And here it says Jesus had compassion on them. What we find here is that Jesus was he was the ultimate answer to a prayer that Moses prayed all the way back in Numbers chapter 27. We won't spend long here, but I I do want you to see it. Numbers chapter 27, we we find this prayer. We'll put it up on the screen here for you. Uh, Moses, he spoke to the Lord. Moses was getting ready to to exit this world. He knew his time was done. God was getting ready to to take him out of this world. And And he prays to the Lord and he says, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation over israel who shall go out before them and come in before them a leader who shall lead them out and bring them in in that the congregation of the lord may not be what may not be as sheep without a shepherd and what did jesus see when he stepped out of the boat that day he looked at that multitude and and looked to him like sheep without a shepherd what do sheep without a shepherd do they just run wild if there's, I mean, there's no order there. There's no, there's no real pack mentality necessarily with sheep. They just kind of go where they go. They're just all over the place. And, and it's a shepherd that's needed to bring them in, to draw them together, not, not just for protection, but for instruction, for feeding. All of the things that are needed, they draw that from the shepherd. They have no defense mechanisms of their own, and they're just open to whatever is thrown at them. And Jesus looked at those multitudes on that day, and he had compassion. And he entered into their suffering and brought change. But what about the disciples? You see, the disciples instead, they had run the numbers and they had rounded up their resources. That's the disciples here. Jesus looks at, they, they come to Jesus and they say, all right, Jesus, it's getting late. You know, th- th- we've had a good day. You've done a lot of teaching. This is all fine and good. They're probably aching for that one-on-one time with Jesus. All right, Jesus, now it's time It's time for you to send the crowds away. Send them away, Jesus. But what does Jesus say? You feed them. And in fact, the you there is an emphatic imperative. It's like a strong you. It's like when when we tell our kids the first time, uh, go clean your room, and then you come in there 30 minutes later and it looks worse than it did before, and then you say, you clean your room. That's the kind of you we're talking about here. Jesus goes right to this emphatic imperative, you feed them, he says, and I can see them kind of stepping back going, whoa, hold on, Jesus. They're running the numbers in their head, It would take 200 denarii, and denarii was the the coin that was given to a day laborer in that day. He's saying it would take 200 days' wages for this crowd to even get a bite to eat. What do you you expect us to do, Jesus? We don't have the resources for that. And he says, well, what do you have? Go and see. And that only seems to make matters worse because then they go, and John tells us they found a little boy's lunch. Mark leaves out that detail because it wasn't important to him. But if they find a little boy's lunch and they bring it to Jesus, five loaves, two fishes, here's all we got, Jesus. Can you see now? It's time, it's time to send them away. Send them away. But Jesus stays with it. You feed them. You feed them. He's calling the disciples to a place of faith that they weren't ready to enter into yet. So we wrap up this part of the message this morning. I, I want to I look at Philippians chapter 2. This is just the attitude of Christ that pervades the Scriptures. It's one that, that we're called to adopt for ourselves. Paul writes, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And in these questions, the heart cry of the church ought to be yes. I hope this morning you can say yes. I have encouragement this morning because I belong to Christ. Is there any comfort from His love? And I hope that you can say again, yes, there's comfort from the love of Christ. Is there any fellowship together with the Spirit? Yes. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? We go, well, sometimes. And then in verse 5 he says, you must, not you might or you should, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Take this mind upon yourselves. Be guided in life by this attitude. This be the steering force of your life. And one of the things we've seen about Christ's attitude this morning is that his was an attitude of true compassion. A willingness not just to view the sufferings of others and say, man, I really wish somebody would fix that, but to actually enter into the suffering and bring change, even at cost to yourself. You know, Jesus said to those disciples, well, what do you have? He said, you feed them. And they said, what? Well, it'd be eight months' wages to even give each person a bite. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? Go, go and see. And I think for many of us, like those disciples, we, we feel like we don't have anything to bring to the Lord. We think that, well, I couldn't possibly do anything For the Lord here, so I might as well just tap out. Surely he wouldn't want me. I don't have anything to bring but a whole bunch of sin and mess and all. And he doesn't really want all that. Maybe you feel like all you have to bring is kind of like that little boy's lunch. A few stale crackers and a few stinky old fish. But I want you to see what Jesus does in the rest of this scripture today. And we're going to keep this real short because I want us to engage in a time of worship here at the end today. But Jesus says to him, verse 38, how, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, well, we've got five and two fish. John tells us that came from a little boy's lunch that they had discovered in the crowd. So really the disciples had nothing to bring. They found this little boy. And then he commanded them all. He said, okay, everybody, I want everybody to sit down. Imagine this. I mean, 10,000 plus people. Everybody sit down puts them out in groups on the green grass. The the Greek word behind those groups is is the word for a garden plot. How many of you guys plowed up a garden this year? And you lay that thing out in in rows, right? And and at the beginning, it hopefully looks pretty orderly and and nice, and then it all grows up and makes a mess. But but you see that that orderliness in the picture here, that Jesus is putting them in order. Remember, they they were sheep without a shepherd. They're just wandering aimlessly. And Jesus says, okay, let's bring a little organization here. I want you all to sit down in groups of 50 and 100, and they all get seated And then he takes that little lunch, five loaves and the two fishes, and he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people and he divided the two fish among them all. Remember the all is 10,000 plus people. And verse 42 is amazing. And they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate to their, to their fullness, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish, and those who ate of the loaves were 5,000 men plus women and children, 10,000 plus people. And What we see here, and what I want to show you as we finish up today, is this speaks to us of the authority of Christ. Who can do this but God alone? That's what's crying out from the Scripture pages for you this morning, that you would see the authority of Jesus Christ, that He is the one who takes the little boy's lunch and feeds the multitudes. And the same one who did this is the same one who called the stars into being. Colossians chapter 1 says that everything was made by Him and for Him. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God. In the beginning, all things were made by Him and for Him. And 13 verses later, it says, And the Word here we're talking about is Jesus Christ. God in the flesh came, and He dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And now God is taking this little boy's lunch and dividing it among a multitude. And the message that they were supposed to get in that day was, This is God. He is our God. Praise Him. But instead, we find the disciples still didn't get it. You say, well, I don't see that there. Look toward the end of chapter 6, and you'll begin to see what the disciples were doing. They were were still rationalizing the situation, and they were reasoning away their faith. Isn't that what we do in this culture? We are a culture that is so intent upon reason and rationality To the point that we will literally reason away morality. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man. There's a way that makes sense to us. And that way leads to destruction. You could say that's, that's the highway to hell that we're on when we're simply operating in what makes sense to us. What seems reasonable to us. So here's the truth about faith this morning. If you would have the true faith of the scriptures, I need you to understand this. Faith does not run contrary to reason, it simply rises above reason. Do you see the difference? You see, we're living in a culture right now that says, well, you can either have reason or you can have faith, because those two things to our culture seem to butt heads. But that's not what we find in the pages of Scripture, and that's not the kind of faith that the one true and living God is calling you to today. It's not the kind of faith that runs contrary to reason. It's simply the kind of faith that rises above reason. It's the kind of faith that says, you know what, there is a way that makes sense. There is a way that seems right. It seems seems sensical to be like the disciples and say, look at the multitude. Send them away. they got to eat. That makes sense, right? It would take eight months' wages to feed these people, even a bite. Send them away. That makes sense, Right? All we've got is this little boy's lunch, five loaves and a few sardines. Send them away. That makes sense, right? What makes absolutely no sense is when Jesus points at those disciples and says, You feed them. You see, we easily get overwhelmed. And they did not get it. You say, how do you know they didn't get it? End of John chapter 6. Jesus has put these guys in the boat once again, sent them away. The crowds are excited that that he fed them with a little boy's lunch. He puts the disciples in the boat, sends them away. And that night, he goes out to them walking on the water. Another miracle that's saying, hello, son of God here. Walking on the water, he goes out to them. And they're freaking out, thinking it's a ghost. He just steps over the side of the boat and says, chill, guys. It's me. That's my little interpretation. But then he says this. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased, the storm done. And they were utterly astounded. Why? Because they did not understand about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. And see, that's the danger today, folks. We come to the scripture, we, we, we read John chapter 6, we see the feeding of the 5,000, and the danger is that we walk away the same as those 12 disciples, that we just don't get it. That we don't understand, not because it's not understandable, but because our hearts are hardened against the truth. That's what sin does to us, is it hardens our hearts against the truth of the Word of God. Later on, Mark chapter 8, Jesus is addressing them once again. They're on another particular journey in Mark chapter 8 and somebody forgot to bring the bread, which is just a bad deal. There's no snacks on the journey and they're arguing about, okay, who forgot to bring the bread? And Jesus responds to them and says, do you not perceive? Do you not yet understand? Are your hearts hardened? And the answer was yes, but they didn't realize it. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. Good answer one for each of them. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And folks, that's the question of the day. Do you not yet understand? Because our tendency is to look at this miracle and see, wow, how cool it is that Jesus could take a little boy's lunch and feed a multitude. But that's one giant leap short of the truth that is meant to be relayed by the miracle. Because you see, the sun reveals the sun. It's the miracle that unveils the master. And the whole deal with these loaves is that you would see him. That you should see that he is the bread of life. Not just that there was some cool miracle that happened because this same crowd, when he sticks the disciples on the boat, this same crowd goes chasing after them once again and when they find him the next time, he says, you know what, you're not here looking for me, you're here because you got a good meal yesterday. And I want you to know that I'm not doing that again because the whole point was not that you would look to what I can give you from my hands, but that you would look to me, that you would put your faith in me, not just in my provision." He was trying to point them to himself because there was nothing greater that he could point them to because their bellies would grow empty again. But he was trying to give them something that would satisfy forever. First John chapter 3, and we'll end here this morning. This is by this we know love. How do we know what real love is? In a culture that's constantly redefining it, we know love in this, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus says, Greater man has greater love has no man than that he lays down his life for his friends. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Implied answer? It doesn't. It's not there. Little children, he says, Let us not love just in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I want to ask you this morning, are you abiding in the truth? that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm not asking, do you believe He was a good man? I'm not asking, do you believe He was a good teacher? I'm not asking, do you believe He was a great prophet? Is your proclamation this morning that Jesus is Lord. When you look at this miracle, do you see just a cool parlor trick or do you see it screaming out from the pages of Scripture, Jesus is God. Because if you see it calling out Jesus is God, then there's really only one response. If you see it crying out Jesus is God, then the response that Charles Spurgeon spoke over a hundred years ago is so relevant. As he preached this passage of Scripture, he ended this way "He said, come then, come then, weary and hungry sinner. You have nothing to do but to take Christ. Open your mouth and receive the food. Faith to receive what Christ provides is all that is needed. You say, well, what do I bring? You bring your nothing to Him and allow Him to give you everything that you need. You bring your spiritual hunger before him and allow him to bring you to that place of true satisfaction. You look to Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith, not just for the blessings that come from his hands, but you look to him for him. And you bring your need. And you bring your sin. And you bring your mess. And you bring all the things that you don't want anybody else to know are wrapped up in all of who you are. And you bring that to Him. And you surrender it to Him. And you allow Him to take that and to die with it on the cross. And you trust Christ to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And the picture that we are about to enter into this morning... Is just simply a picture of that good news. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. At the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we're going to invite you to the table this morning. The table of the Lord. If you are a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a member of this church. If you're a baptized follower of Jesus Christ this morning, we want to invite you to this table. But the purpose of this table is greater than the elements that are on the table. This little piece of bread that you will take is a reminder of the fact that the one who broke bread over 2,000 years ago and fed a multitude is the same one who allowed his own body to be broken so that you could be redeemed. And as you take that bread and as you dip it in to that cup, you're going to be reminded that the same Savior 2,000 years ago poured out every last drop of His blood so that you might be saved. Your sin was fully covered. Your debt was fully satisfied. And He did this for you bids you to come this morning. Come to the table, and he says, "Do this. Do this in remembrance of me." And we come claiming the promise that Paul wrote, and as often as we do this, as often as we do this, we're not just remembering the Lord, but we are proclaiming. We are proclaiming His death until He comes, proclaiming that there's salvation in no other name, proclaiming that He died for the sins of all mankind, proclaiming that He is coming again to rescue His people. Proclaiming to all every tribe and tongue and nation, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Son of God. Come into flesh to rescue His people. This is our proclamation. If you're a baptized believer in Jesus this morning, we invite you to this table. We encourage you, don't come lightly. Come reverently. Come rejoicing in your salvation this time of worship as we conclude today remind you of the gospel so that you might go out and proclaim this gospel to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. If you stand with me, I want to pray for us and then I'll give you some, some instructions as to how we'll proceed. Father God, we thank you for this Lord's Supper. We praise you for the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us. And Lord, this bread and this cup simply points us to Jesus. And so fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before Him endured the cross and scorned its shame and is even now in this very moment seated at the right hand of God in glory interceding for us, praying for us and beckoning us to come. be an act of worship this morning, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As you remain standing, I just want to say that it's because of what we just sang that now we can do what we're about to do. It's because the Savior has embraced us in His arms that now we have something that we can give. We came bearing nothing. At best, we had a little boy's lunch. Some stale crackers and a few sardines. At best, we had that. The reality was, like those disciples, we had nothing when we came to Jesus. Then He embraced you in His arms, and now you do have something to give, which is the love of Christ that was given to you. And one of the ways that we express that love is is what we're about to do in giving back to the Lord And this is one of those things the church is so misunderstood in our culture today. So many people think, well, all the church really cares about is your money. I can guarantee you, the Lord needs not your money. He has the cattle on a thousand hills. He created it all and it all belongs to Him. But in this moment, when we give back to Him, what we're expressing is, God, you have given me so much. And so as an act of worship, I give back to you. And maybe all I've got to offer you, Lord, is like a little boy's lunch, but I know that you receive it. Whether it's 50 cents or whether it's $500, the Lord doesn't care. Either way, it's really about the heart that gives. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, the Scriptures say. And we're cheerful because He has embraced us and not rejected us. And so as we remain standing, our deacons are to come by with these baskets. If you just remain standing and pass these down the road you give back to the Lord as an offering of worship let's continue to sing together to rejoice in what Christ has done for us as we go out today I hope that that is the cry of your heart Lord I need you and knowing that the Savior will not reject you but he says come come on come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden I will give you rest take my yoke upon you Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. It's here that you'll find rest for yourselves. We encourage you toward Christ today. If you'd like to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, I want to encourage you, before you leave this building, I know we call it our guest reception, but today it can be more than that. Kent's going to make his way there. He's going to hobble that direction. We'll give him a little extra time. Room 101, before you leave the door this morning you are here for the first time or just want to hear more about what it means to know this Jesus we've been talking about, I want to encourage you toward room 101 before you leave the building today. I can guarantee you, he wants you, he desires you to come to Jesus. Father God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all that we have seen and heard and now may you give us understanding to walk in these things. To leave this place with the gospel ingrained in our hearts and in our minds and even in our tongues, that we might proclaim it this week to a lost and dying world. God, give us utterance this week with our co workers and with our family members, with our friends who don't know Christ, Lord. May we be the light in this dark world because you are the light in us. Let we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless your business today.